of this series we're doing out of the book of Judges. Uh, and if you've been here for the last three weeks, you know that there have been so far some straight-up crazy stories uh, that we've seen uh, out of this book. But basically, the overall theme of Judges is the fact that the nation of Israel is really all over the place spiritually, all right? That uh, they're hot, and then they're cold, they're, they're being obedient to God, and then they're being disobedient. Uh, at times, they're just basically giving God lip service, saying that He's their God, but actually not living their lives uh, that way. And I believe that God gives us a glimpse of these ups and these downs for a reason in the Bible, and it's for us to take some lessons away from uh, the history of the Israelites and God's chosen people. And so we've seen over the past several weeks a lot of lessons that we can take away from uh, even these crazy stories in the Bible. Uh, but God gives, it to, gives them to us because He knows that we would be able to relate to them. Uh, if we're honest, you know, one week we're reading our Bible, you know, we're doing our devotions, our prayer life is better than it's ever been. And then before you know it, you know, it's been so long since you've read your Bible, you don't even know where it's at, right? And the reason I know this to be the case is because we have 50 Bibles that are in our lost and found currently. And so uh, some of you have not missed them yet. Uh, and unfortunately, some of those have been in there for years. And so uh, I'm kidding. We don't have 50 Bibles in lost and found. There's just 49. But, uh, <clears throat> But seriously, if we're honest, I mean, we find ourselves in those times. We find ourselves in those seasons. We can all relate to our spiritual journey being highs and lows, ups and downs, often like a spiritual roller coaster ride. Uh, and so what we've been seeing is that, you know, when this would happen, uh, Israel would, you know, not be uh, in obedience with God, not be where he wants them to be, where he's instructed them to be or commanded to be. And so, you know, things would go south, which often does when we try to go our own way instead of God's way. Uh, it's never going to end well. And so we see it time and time again. And then uh, we see that God would send the nation of Israel a helper, uh, a leader, if you will, a judge, hence the book of Judges, uh, it, to help guide them back to the right path and to be where God would have them to be. And these leaders that God chooses, uh, we've learned over the past few weeks, they're, they're nothing special. I mean, there's really nothing special about them. They have their own unique gifts and talents. But when you learn about them and you look at their lives, they're just really normal people. They're just ordinary people that God takes and uses to do extraordinary things. And this should be exciting to you, that God chooses. All throughout the Scripture, we see... That God doesn't take the greatest, God doesn't take the wealthiest, God doesn't take the most educated, right? He just takes normal, ordinary, everyday people like you and like me to do His greatest works through those kinds of people. And so we've been seeing that. And this morning, the next judge or the next leader that God calls out to lead the nation of Israel to deliver them is another very unlikely candidate. And his name is Gideon. Uh, and um, I, as, I, as I think about Gideon, I, the statement comes to my mind. Some of you probably heard this said about somebody before. Uh, somebody, you've heard him say, he's afraid of his own shadow. 
You ever heard that statement before? And you know people like that. You may be that way yourself, you know. Uh, but if, there was, if that were ever to be true about a human being, uh, I would say that Gideon fits that description. Uh, and this morning we're going to see that Gideon obviously lacks uh, confidence. He obviously lacks uh, courage. Uh, and he's living his life in fear. Uh, and, and I would venture to guess this, that there are probably some people here today that can very well relate to Gideon. Uh, people today who are living in some sort of fear. Uh, maybe it's fear about the future. Uh, maybe you or someone in your family's got some, a, a bad report, maybe a bad medical report, or, or some news that you know, you're just uncertain about what the future holds. You're uncertain about maybe what even this coming week uh, has in, in store for you. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're really struggling with a relationship. And you don't know what the future of that is. And you're kind of anxious about you know, how that might look in the future. Maybe your marriage isn't going well. And you're not real sure exactly what your family dynamic may look like uh, in the days ahead. Maybe you've got kids. And they just seem to be making a lot of really dumb decisions. And so you're afraid of what that might lead them to. Or afraid of, you know, what kind of situations that might create for them in the days ahead. And, and, and today, you know, as we look at Gideon, we're going to see a guy who's got some fears. Uh, we're going to see a guy that's got a lot of apprehension. Uh, and he's definitely not a model for being a courageous person, but God, don't miss this. God makes him into a hero in spite of all of that, in spite of his fears, right? In spite of the fact uh, that, you know, he's, he's got, you know, all this anxiety going on in his life about the situation that they're in. So we're going to pick up the story here in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, and I just want to give you a real summary to set the context of where we're at this week. Uh, and I'm not going to read with you the entire story for the sake of time, but uh, we learned about Deborah last week, okay? And so this is after Deborah, who was the appointed leader by God. Uh, this was after she has died, okay? And so uh, we see here at the beginning of the chapter, once again, it says the Israelites have done evil in the eyes of the Lord, there in verse 1. And so God allowed them, because of that, because they've turned away from God again, they've gotten on the wrong path again, they're putting other things uh, in, in front of God in their lives. And because of that, God allows uh, someone to get their attention. And it's the Midianites. And so basically the Midianites have invaded the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and for seven years now, they've been under their control of the Midianites. Uh, and, and so we see the, you know, uh, the Midianites, it says there in, in uh, uh, the Scripture that they were like locusts. They just came in and devoured everything, right? They, they took from the Israelites. They took their, you know, much of their, their uh, farms and animals and just, you know, they... they are in a bad way. And so what happens? Well, the same thing we've seen every week. Israel finds themselves in this huge mess that, oh, by the way, they created for themselves. And they begin to cry out to the Lord for help. 
to help them again, get them out of this mess that they find themselves in. The Lord hears their cry, and it's here where we're introduced to this very unlikely hero, Gideon. And so let's pick it up this morning at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. That name will be important. I can't pronounce it. So anyway, the angel of the Lord came, sat down at this place that, became, that was Joash, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And we need to stop there just for a moment and understand what's taking place here. A wine press would be a horrible place all right, to be threshing wheat. All right, uh, those of you that have, have never threshed wheat before, uh, probably just a couple of you have never done that. But what this would look at like is basically the, the process that they would go through to separate the grain from the stalks, all right, the, the grain from the shaft. And, and so what they do is it, part of that process would involve throwing it up in the air, and then the grain, because it was heavier, would fall straight down. And the, the shaft and, the, you know, the stalks and all that would, would blow away because it was lighter. So that's how that would work. They would have this threshing floor where all this would, would take place. And that's how you thresh uh, wheat. But scholars say that a wine press would be very much different from that. Matter of fact, this wine press typically would be actually kind of an underground uh, area. It would be sometimes a, an area that would be carved like a bowl uh, out of a rock, or it would be, you know, it would be a place that would be underground level. It's where wine presses typically would be, uh, and and much much smaller than a typical threshing floor would be, which means it would be a terrible place to uh, thresh wheat. So why is Gideon doing it there? Well, why is, he, why is he trying to thresh wheat in a wine press instead of the threshing floor? Well, it's because he's afraid, right? He's, he's actually hiding in this wine press, threshing this wheat to get the grain. He's afraid of the Midianites because he, 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 he's afraid that if they see him and they know he's there doing this, that they're going to come and, and even take uh, more away. Now look at verse number 12. When the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon here, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I, I've told you week after week, if you don't find humor in the Bible, it's just because you don't have a sense of humor, right? I, I mean, seriously, Gideon is hiding in a hole because he's afraid, and the Lord shows up and calls him, Mighty warrior. Seriously? I mean, you know, but, but don't miss this because there's a lesson in this for us. And I alluded to it. I kind of jumped ahead last week just a little bit. But here's the first lesson that we need to learn from Gideon's story. And it's this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the ones he calls. All right? And, and, and see, God doesn't speak to Gideon. Don't miss this because y'all need to hear this. I need to hear this. God doesn't speak to Gideon based on who Gideon is, all right? But he speaks to him 
based on what God is going to make him into. Hello? He, he doesn't speak to him as who he is, but he speaks to him based on what God is going to make him into. And, and, and when God calls us, he doesn't see us or define us by the condition that he finds us in, all right? But by what he wants to make us into. And so God looks at this scared man that's hiding in a hole, and he calls him mighty warrior. Friends, I don't know if you get this, but that is huge for you, and that's huge for me. You know, that, that every, that's what, how God looks at us. That's how he sees us in the same light. He speaks to you. Think about it. How did he find you? Well, when he came to you and you recognized that he was there and he was calling you and he was reaching out to you, what shape were you in when he found you? You were dead, right? The Bible says that you were dead in your sins. There was no hope because you were dead in your sin, right? And what does he do? He calls you to life because of the resurrection, he says, because you are in me, because you are my child, you have life. And not only will you have life, you'll have a life that you can't even understand or comprehend because you will have eternal life. He doesn't see you in your death, right? He sees you alive. He sees you uh, 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 alive uh, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal this morning, and I talk about this a lot because I think it's important because so many people are allowing their past to define who they are. But here's the deal. You've got to believe that you are who God says you are. You've got to believe that. You know, listen to me. Satan is the one who tells you. You know, Satan is the one who tells you that you are who you are based on what you used to do. Satan is the one that tells you that you are who you are based on the past. It's the enemy that defines you by your past. All right? He's the one that whispers to you, you can't do this. He's the one that tells you, you're not good enough. He's the one that tells you uh, that you could never do that. They would never even want you to do that because they know what you were doing last week. Right? He's the one that whispers all these lies in your head that tells you you're a failure, you're a coward. That voice that says you'll never be good for anything, that's the voice of Satan. That, that's the voice of the enemy. And, he, and here's the deal. He usually substantiates these allegations and what he tells you. He substantiates that I, with the truth. I mean, he just says, look back. The facts are there. As Granny would, used to say, the proof is in the pudding, right? Just look back. You're a failure. You're not worthy. You're not qualified. They'd never want you. God would never use you, right? And, and so that, that's the reason the Bible refers to Satan as what? The accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser. And, and Scripture says that he does it both night and day. He's constantly accusing. But God, on the other hand, what does he call you? Does he say you're worthless? Does he say you're a failure? Does he say not qualified? No, God, God calls you beloved. God calls you, you of all people, he's called righteous. Hello? He's called you righteous. He calls you a saint. 
He's called you a saint. I know some of you. Right? And he's called you a saint. I'm as shocked as you are. (laughs) Hey, here's my favorite. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. Boy, there's something special about that relationship, isn't there? He calls us mighty warrior as we hide from whatever it is that we're afraid of. Mighty warrior. And you may think, God, I could never be. I'm none of that. And he says, you're exactly right. You may not be that now, but you will be. You may not have been that in the past. But that's who you're going to be. God doesn't call the bold. He gives boldness to the ones that he calls. Right? God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the ones that are called. And so here's the deal. If you're waiting on God... If you're waiting on God to give you all that you need to make you exactly who you think you need to be before he can use you, can I just tell you, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. I believe with all my heart that we have too many people today that's waiting on God to set it all up and make it just right before they'll go. Right? Waiting on God to go, to speak, to, to uh, go on mission trips. They're waiting on God you know, to volunteer. They're waiting on God before they are willing to make some sort of sacrifice. Waiting on God to show them exactly how it will all work out. Because you know what, God? I will start when you provide all the resources and you have it all lined out and you have it all played out. Then I'll do it because I know I can do it, right? And so we're waiting on God to get everything perfect, to make us perfect, so the situation would be just right, and then we'll do it. Folks, that's not faith, really. When we're doing something that we know that we can do, that is not faith. And and I've said it uh, lots of times, and I'm serious. I wish sometime we would do something that we know we can't do. That we would decide to do something that we know in our power, in our, with our resources, we cannot do it. And it would require a step of faith for us to, to do that. Because that's what faith is all about. So if you're waiting on God to give you all that you need before you obey Him, you'll never get there. And, and so waiting on God, you know, to, to show us how it will all work out and, and then do it. But that's the wrong order. All right, and that's what we need to notice here because God is waiting on you. Don't all right, think about this. God is waiting on you to step out of the boat before you're ever able to walk on water. Hello? You'll never walk on water as long as you sit in the boat. God will never do amazing things through you. Miracles in and through you powerful things in and through you as long as you're sitting in that comfortable seat in the boat. you got to get out of the boat before you ever walk on water. And that brings us to our second lesson today, and it's this in verse 13. I, I love this. I love the, 
the phrasing of Gideon, how he's talking to this angel of the Lord. Uh, pardon me? You know, Lord? Gideon replied, excuse me, I think you've got the wrong guy you know who you're talking to. And, and he asked two questions. The first question is this, but if the Lord is with us, if it's truly the Lord and you're with us, then why has all this happened? Why, why has all this happened to us? And honestly, that's a really dumb question, Right? Uh, now that we know the story of why they find themselves in this mess for the past seven years, right? It was because of their own doings. You know, it's actually uh, God, you know, it, it's not God has turned from his people. It's that his people have turned from him, right? And that's why they find themselves in the mess that they're in. And, and I've said this uh, before, and some of you that are part of the Wednesday night Bible study, you had this in your devotions this week. But I often ask people, because people often will tell me, and they'll come to me, and they say, boy, I just don't feel like as close to God as I used to. I feel like He's distant. I just, I, you know, I, I don't feel that, that He's there the way that He used to be there. And I will every single time say, then who moved? Because it wasn't God. His promise is that He is always here. And that he will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. And so if you feel like you're not as close to God as you once were, who moved? And that's exactly what had happened here in the life of the Israelites. God hadn't abandoned them. They had abandoned God. And that's why they now find themselves in this seven-year mess. And the second question is even more confusing that Gideon asked. He says, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about. In other words, God, why don't you do great things for us like you did in the past? Why don't you do miracles in our lives like you have done in the past? And again, this is just funny to me. Because Gideon is sitting here talking to an angel. And he's asking God, why don't you do something cool? You're talking to an angel, you fool, you know? The angel of the Lord is sitting here talking to you, and you want him to do something wondrous? I mean, is that not wondrous? Maybe y'all talk to him every week. I don't know. I've never done that. I just think that would be wondrous, right? I think that would be amazing to sit and talk to an angel from the Lord. And many scholars believe that this angel of the Lord was actually Jesus. All right, and so... That's a pretty wondrous thing. And so here's the second lesson for you and me today. I think we can take away from this introduction to Gideon's life, and it's this. We are the activity of God in this generation. All right? Now look at God's specific answer to Gideon's question here. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands, Am I not sending you? Right? So God, where are all these amazing miracles that I've heard about you doing in the past? Why don't you do something awesome like that now in my generation? Because we're the ones that really need it. I mean, this nation is going to in a handbasket, right? Why don't you do something about it, God? What's God's response here? Well, Gideon, I'm about to. But I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to do it through you. 
I'm sending, I'm sending you. I, I'm using you. And so don't miss this this morning, folks. You are God's tools that he wants to use in this generation. You are the tools. You are the instruments that he wants to use to do his work in this world right now. We, we talk about it all the time. You were born on purpose, with a purpose, and he tooled you. He gifted you specifically and uniquely so that you could be used to build the kingdom here on this earth. I'm sending you. I'm using you. And, and so uh, we, we've talked about this a lot throughout this series already, but, but God has given every single one of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have a spiritual gift. And can I just tell you this morning, your spiritual gift is not so that you'll be cool. All right, so people will look at you and go, oh, look how awesome they are. Look how talented they are. He didn't give you your gifts so that you would be better liked or, or popular. He didn't gift you so that other people would look at you and be jealous of your gifts. God has given you the spiritual gifts that you have been given so that he can use you to complete his work in this generation. In this generation. To use you to do acts of mercy. To use you to extend grace and forgiveness to all mankind. Not just the ones who look like us and smell like us and talk like us. God is wanting to use us to make an impact on this world and on this generation. To show people what faith in God looks like. When they look at our lives, do they really see that we have faith in God and total dependence on Him for every day? It's amazing to me, as, as I've been on mission trips before, and you go to these third world countries, uh, and you meet these precious uh, Belize uh, people uh, that were over there, and it was just, it was overwhelming to see how they live day to day on faith in God, that God will provide, that you know, God will take care of them, that God will help them. They live with so much faith. Y'all, we as Americans today are so spoiled. Most of us have no faith in anything because we think we've got everything we need right at our fingertips. Gideon is sitting here and he's like, you know, I remember. I remember sitting around the fires, hearing the stories at deer camp. Right? I remember sitting around the, the, the fires, hearing the stories, and hearing Daddy and hearing Grandpa tell these stories about awesome things that you used to do. Boy, what it'd be like to have those good old days back. I wish that I had lived in the good old days when God was God and He was doing all these mighty miracles and these awesome works through people. Love to have those good old days back. Well, friends, I've told you before, it's, it's good for us to look back and to see how God has been faithful in the past. It, it's good for us to look back and see God's goodness in the past. But I believe that God wants us to learn this lesson today. Folks, He's not just a God of the past. You hear me? 
God is not just a God of the past. God is not just a God of the good old days. He is the same God today that he was yesterday. He's the same God today that was here 115 years ago when this church was started. Same God, no difference, no loss of power. He's not slept since. The same God that did mighty things in the good old days is still God today. He's not just a God of the good old days. He's a God of the future. And he would love nothing more, folks, than to do his mighty works through you and through me. He would love to do that. He would love for the world to see amazing things happen in the church of the Nazarene in Greenbrier, Arkansas. He would love for people to look upon uh, his people and go, man, I see their faith in God. It is so evident. It is so real that they trust God with everything. They have surrendered all. They don't just sing the song. They actually live their life like that. He's a God of the future. And he wants to do mighty things in and through our lives in the days ahead. I believe that the greatest days of God's outpouring of His Spirit are ahead of us. I believe that with all my heart. I believe the good old days have not happened yet. I believe they're still ahead of us. And that God wants to do some incredible things in and through His people. Call me foolish. I don't know, but I believe God wants to do something awesome. God wants the people of the world to see Him in all of His glory. God wants to be known, and it's in and through us. He has entrusted you and me with this message, with this faith, so that people might see him. He's just looking for a few good men, and like we saw last week, oh, by the way, women who are willing to step up and be a part of what it is that he wants to do in this generation right now. I believe the greatest days of God and His work are ahead of us. You know, I have kids, and I pray to the good Lord above that one day they'll have kids and that they'll not sleep for the first year. (laughs) But like you, I've got kids and one day grandkids. And you know what? I want them to be a part of and to experience a powerful movement of God in their lives. I want that for them as much, if not even more, than I want it for myself. To be a part of a mighty movement of God. But are you like Gideon? Asking, well, God, this world's in pretty bad shape. Don't you think it's about time you intervened? Don't you think that it's about time that you did something about this mess that's going on in our world today? You know, why why aren't you, God, why don't you you do a mighty work in my family like you used to do? The stories we read about in the Bible. Why why aren't you active in in my family? Why aren't you active in in, in my school? Why, Why aren't you active in our community? Well, I believe God's answer to that is similar to the answer that he gave to Gideon. Well, I would do these things, but it hinges on you. I would do these things, but 
I'm going to need to do them through you. Am I not sending you? Am I not calling you? Mighty warriors? (laughs) But I know me. You know you. And we're failures. We're scared. We know we can't do these things. Our response is often like Gideon's response there in verse 15. Here we go again. Uh, pardon me, Lord. Uh, excuse me, but how can I? Think of the magnitude of what God's telling him is about to happen here. This coward is going to save all of Israel. Gideon's like, I know me. I'm scared of my own shadow. How can I save Israel? Oh, by the way, you've got the wrong guy because my clan is the weakest in the land, right? My clan is is the weakest in Manasseh. And oh, by the way, out of that weakest clan here, I'm the worst. (laughs) I'm the weakest. God, I'm scared. I'm a coward. I'm not qualified. I'm hiding in a wine press threshing wheat for crying out loud. Verse 16. But what did the Lord say? The Lord answered and said, I will be with you. And the folks in our Wednesday night Bible study knows the power Right now, if you've been doing those devotions, you know the power in that statement right there. There's power in our lives when the presence of God is with us. And oh, by the way, this is God's one-line answer to everything. And so if you have a Bible this morning, I, I would encourage you to underline it. Because everything that you need is in that one statement right there. Everything that you need is in that statement, I will be with you. And you will (laughs) strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And to make a long story short, God gives Gideon the sign uh, that this is really what he wants to do through Gideon. Gideon continued to question it and I asked for several signs here from God and God does that but first I don't I don't want to miss here what I think our third lesson is from this story today is we're just basically today looking at this introduction to Gideon and our third lesson is this we've got to turn away from our idols before God will use Gideon Our God's got his attention. God's proved to Gideon that, hey, this is God. right? But before God will use Gideon, before God does these mighty wonders that we're going to see later on in the weeks ahead, there's got to be some house cleaning that takes place. All right? Don't miss this. Before a mighty spiritual outpouring of God begins in your heart, And subsequently, in your home, 
we must get rid of our idols first. Look at what God tells him to do in verse 25. He says, that same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asher pole that's beside it. Idols. These are idols. Verse 26. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So what's Gideon's first assignment here as a follower of God? As a mighty warrior of God, what's his first assignment before anything else? Clean house. Get rid of the idols that are in your family. Get rid of the idols that are in your home. Get rid of the idols that are in your heart. Because these idols, don't miss this folks, it will render you weak. They will render you ineffective for the work that the Lord wants to do in you and through you. But here's the deal. We don't need to talk about that today because we're all church folks, right? I mean, we're all here. We're all good people. We don't have any wooden idols, right? We don't have, we don't have any idols. But can I just point out here this morning something that I think is so important for Gideon's family, these things weren't things that they had in their home instead of God. Okay? They worshipped them in addition to God. And I think that's so important. See, they had never really fully rejected God because they were God's chosen people. They believed in God. They had heard all these awesome stories about God and knew the works that He had done. They hadn't rejected who he was, think about what they've done. They had just added some things to their family dynamic that would supplement what God doesn't do. That would help them in areas of their life where God won't help them. As if God can't do all things, right? They turn to other things, other gods, for instance, like uh, so that they would get rain or for fertility. You know, all those things that capital G God can't do, right? Doesn't fall under his resume. They weren't idols in the place of God. No, that would be horrid, right? To deny God completely and allow things take the place of God. These were just idols in addition to God. And we read this and go, yeah, well, that's dumb. You know, they're just silly, superstitious statues that they had around the house. I don't have any of those. But let's be honest. What are some areas in your life that you haven't fully trusted God with? What are some things in your home that you haven't fully surrendered to the Lord. I mean, you believe in God, right? We all would probably agree to that if we're here this morning. But you've added some things. You've supplemented, right, some things in addition to God just kind of as a backup plan, right? I mean, we all need a good backup plan. And so 
we've added some of those things in our life. And so some of you haven't really trusted God in all areas of your life. Some of you haven't really trusted God with your relationships. And you're actually being disobedient to God in what He wants you to have in relationships. Right? And, and by the way, disobedience to God says, well, that's probably an area of my life that is something added. That's an area of my life that's, you know, possibly an idol in my life. When we are being disobedience, being disobedient, that's a sign that there is an idol in our life if we're being disobedient. All right, because you know that God's good and He wants you to be happy, right? You know that. I've heard that enough from this platform. God's good. We're His children. He wants the best for His children. He wants us to be happy. But... You go home and you go, you know, I really can't be happy unless I have a special someone in my life, right? Because that's what would make me happy. If I had, you know, a certain person or a special someone in my life and, and, and you know, God hasn't really got them lined up at your doorway, you know, to audition or to hand in their resumes, right? God hadn't done that for you. And so what, what do you do? Well, I'll just take that area of my life and I'll control that. I'll be in charge of that because God's obviously, you know, not doing the work. You know, I was in a bar last weekend and I didn't meet one girl, you know. So God, you know, God's not helping me. If you're looking for a wife in a bar, God's not going to help you. And that's where some of you met and now I just feel really awkward. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Jesus can save even in a bar, so... But, I mean, you know what I'm saying. We just take certain areas of our life under our control because God hadn't really done what we want Him to do in that area. And so, you know, you, you compromise and you do things that God says clearly in His Word that's off limits and out of bounds. And it's because if we're honest, I want you to think about it. It's because we're afraid. It's because we're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being single. And so you take things into your own hand. You still believe in God, but you've kind of supplemented the policy yourself. And then there are people who know that God can bring them joy, and they know that God can bring them happiness. But you really can't have any joy in your life. You really can't have any happiness in your life until you reach a certain income. Or make a certain amount of money. And, and so you compromise your morals. You compromise your beliefs. To maybe get a bid. Or to get a shot at a job. Or to get that promotion at work. Or like we talked about a couple weeks ago. You put your job before your family. In order to get what? More money. If you're putting your job before your family, you're doing that solely because you want more money. And by the time you accomplish that, can I just tell you, by the time most people get enough, your family, well, for one, they're all grown and gone. 
And number two, they really don't have a very close relationship with you because you were never there to begin with. So what have you built? What have you accumulated when you finally look in the account and it's enough, but yet you have no friends and you have no family to show for it because you made that your idol? Or maybe this morning you're being disobedient to God's command to be generous in the tithe. And I know that no one at church ever likes for a preacher to talk about being generous with money or tithing. But I'm just going to tell you the Bible talks about it a whole lot more than I do. I told you a few weeks ago, Christians used to be known by the character trait that they were very generous people. You know, but... So many people are being disobedient to what God says, being generous to others and helping others and bringing their tithe into the storehouse. And I'll just tell you, folks, disobedience is the sign that there's an idol present. But don't miss this lesson that's in our story to God, uh, story today. Before God uses you, in the mission. He has to go to war against your idols. Don't miss that. Before you can do battle with the enemies out there, you first must go to battle with the enemies in here. And listen, I want with all my heart to do wonders right, in our lives and in our church that future generations will talk about and future generations will maybe read about. Wow, look at what God did in that little bitty town, Greenbrier, Arkansas, in a church, a Nazarene church. What's a Nazarene church? But look at what God did through some people and poured out His mighty power in and through them and did some incredible and amazing things. But in order for that to happen, we have got to let God begin the process in our hearts, in our homes, in our families. We've got to let it begin there and let God do some house cleaning to bring a revival to the home front, to bring a revival to some families to do some purging, to do some cleansing, right? It's the key to a mighty work of God in our lives. We see that here. It's the key to a mighty work of God, maybe even in our nation and in our world today. And we're going to see in the weeks ahead how God does some truly uh, amazing things through the life of Gideon. You know, he used this scared, cowardly man to do some amazing things for his glory. But it all begins, don't miss this, it all begins by Gideon taking a step of faith, putting aside his idols. Now, did he do that boldly? No, if you go ahead and read the story, it's kind of funny. He was obedient to God, but he did all these things in the middle of the night so no one would notice, right? I mean, he's still scared. He's still a chicken. But he did it, you know? And and we're going to see in the weeks ahead how God uses him in mighty ways because he put aside his idols and he was willing to be, listen folks, he was willing to be available and he was willing to be obedient. Available and obedient. Can I just tell you the two kinds of people that God will use in this world? 
available and obedient. Right? Church, that's my prayer for me. That's my church for my life and my family. And that's my prayer for your life and your family. That it will be said of us one day that we were available and that we were obedient to God. And then with God's help, he did some extraordinary things through some ordinary people in Greenbrier, Arkansas. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he gave them a great commission. Remember that? Not just to the disciples, but to us as well. And when he gave them that commission, I want you to listen to what he said. He says, I am with you always. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples. I am with you always, so go and make disciples. Because, folks, we can't go and make disciples without him. We can't make disciples without his help. We can't make disciples without his presence and his spirit. And that's what God is saying to every single one of us. I am with you always, so go and make disciples. Go, mighty warrior, I am with you. So this morning, hear this, he's calling you, right? He's calling you this morning to obey him in some way. And I don't know what that area is, but he'll be pretty specific to you about it. And so he's calling you. And I, and I can tell you what he's saying, and I want you to hear his voice this morning and not mine. He's telling you, yes, you are a saint. Oh, but God, I'm, I'm far from a saint. And he's saying, you may not feel like one now, but you will be. You may not feel like a saint today. But I'm making you into one. I want to do that work in you and through you. God's saying to you this morning that you're his ambassador. He calls us ambassadors. And that means that we're on a mission for him. We're his representatives, right? If we're ambassadors. And we think, you know, I'm not the one that needs to be an ambassador for God. We'll leave that to the preacher. Right? Well, the preacher probably don't need to be one either. I can't do that. I'm not qualified. Well, he doesn't call the qualified, but he says, I am with you, and when I am with you, you have everything that you need. You have every provision that you will need to be an ambassador of mine in this world. Because he qualifies those that he calls. And when we're available and obedient. So listen to what he's speaking to you today. As he calls you his son. As he calls you his daughter. As he calls you a mighty warrior. So don't listen to who Satan says that you are. Listen to who God says you are and who you will be 
with Him. Who you will be in Christ Jesus. It's who you are if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. So don't look to your courage this morning to give you identity, right? Don't look to how awesome you are to give you your identity. Don't look how not awesome you are to give you your identity, right? Because your identity comes from Christ. Your identity comes from Him. So look to your identity in Christ to give you the courage to do what you know you need to do. Look to Christ to give you the strength to be able to travel that path that He's leading you down. Look to Christ for your identity to be a mighty warrior and for God to use in mighty ways in this community and in this world around us. Folks, it's an awesome reminder to us this morning of what God wants to do in and through our lives. And so as we close this morning with a time of prayer together, maybe you would just like to come pray. Maybe God's already speaking to your heart about an area in your life, and you know specifically what it is that God said to you this morning, and you just want to come and commit that and commit yourself to God. These altars are open. We're all going to pray together in just a moment. Maybe there's a situation that's going on in your life you want to come pray about. Maybe there's someone that God's laid on your heart. Come pray about them. Come lift them up to the throne this morning. But I invite you to come. I want to ask you to continue to remember uh, Robert and Marilyn Johnson's son, Jeremy, who is in Baylor Hospital. They've been there with him for over three weeks now. And uh, just continue to lift Jeremy and Marilyn and Robert in your prayers. The lady that I've been requesting prayer for for over the past year, a dear friend of Lynette's, uh, passed away. Uh, she won her battle with cancer. And uh, just a, probably the most powerful memorial service I've ever been in. Because a young lady, too young to pass, said, even though I'm weak, even though... My body is being eaten away by cancer. She was still available. She was still obedient. And God did some amazing things in and through her life. Don't tell me you can't. I've seen a lot lesser people than you that did. And so I want to continue to pray for the Hughes family. Kathy Fulton lost her dad this past weekend, and uh, we'll get you those arrangements soon. But remember Kathy and her family in your prayers as well. If you'd like to come this morning, come. We'll close with a word of prayer together. God, again, we come to you this morning more than anything else right now, just humbled. Humbled in knowing that you would choose us and you would want to use us in our... I mean, you know our past. You know where we failed. You know, you know everything about us, but yet you still choose to want to use us in this world today. 
And again, it's, it's not those people that are the most educated or those people that have been the most successful or those people that, you know, have the most money. It's, it's not the most powerful people in the world that you want to use to make a difference in the world. It's just people like me. It's people like my family. It's people like are seating all over this auditorium here this morning. You want to use us so that people will see you. And we know that they're not going to see you in our weak and frail lives. And But God, if we fully surrender, if we make ourselves available, if we allow you to do the work that you want to do inside our hearts and inside our homes, God, we truly believe that we can be used in mighty ways not that so people would see us and recognize us, but so that they would see you and know you and, and, and commit their lives to you because we were great ambassadors of the King here in our own little world. And so, God, we can't do that on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. But, God, thank you for that awesome reminder today that you are with us. And when you are with us, we have available to us every resource, every ounce of strength, every ounce of courage that we would ever need to do anything in this world because you are here. I pray that you would remind us of that often, that we never walk alone, we are never alone, and that you want to work in and through our lives. So God, this morning I know that before you can do that great work, before before the process can even begin, the first step of that process is to allow you to do a work within our hearts. And whatever it is that's in our lives, whatever area of our life that we're being disobedient to your word in, God, I pray that you would point that out and point out the idol. And today would be a day that we would cut down the idols. Today would be a day that we would take the idols and cast them in a fire and be done with them. Because when, it's, when we put you in your most high place, God, everything, everything else will be perfect. Everything else will be glorious and wondrous. When we get where we need to be in our relationship with you, then you'll use us to make a difference to those around us. And God, I pray for a mighty work of God in our families. Satan is so on the attack today, trying to destroy families. Because if he can split up a family and destroy a family, he's got a great foothold. So God, I pray that you would do some incredible things in some families, in some marriages, in some relationships between uh, parents and children, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters. God, today as a church, we come before you, a group of people here, many who walked in the door hurting, carrying a huge load, carrying a diagnosis, carrying some uncertainty about what the future holds. But God, today, can we just trust you and know that you hold the future, and that's enough. I pray for Robert and Marilyn. I know that they're exhausted and I know that they're weary. 
and they've been away from home for a long time. But God, you've done tremendous things in and through Jeremy. And I pray that you would continue to bring healing and help and rest and everything that they need to get through these next few days. Continue to pray for Kim's family. God, it was so awesome to see you glorified. To see that you will take the least of these and do your greatest work. God, it, the good old days are not behind us. The good old days are within our grasp if we'll just be like Kim and be available and obedient. God, be with Kathy and her family today as they grieve the loss of her dad. And I pray that as they gather together for memorial service that you'll hold them close. Fill their minds with wonderful memories. But God, most of all, that you will be known in and through the life that he lived and as they celebrate that. God, now we pray for our church. We, we need you so desperately to lead us and show us the way and show us how to best minister to these in our community and even all around the world. And God, we continue to pray for the other churches that you would use them to build the kingdom, be with their pastors, be with their leaders, be with their people, that they would see just who they are as ambassadors for Christ in this community. And God, we would see a mighty work of God spread throughout this land because of our availability and our obedience to you. God, this morning we love you. Thank you for your awesome word. Thank you for this reminder. Sometimes it's a, a wake-up call. Sometimes it's a, we just need to surrender something to you. And sometimes it's just an encouragement to know, keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll be there. Thank you for that today. We love you so much. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.